welcome back to Thread. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Jeremy, here with my co-host, Adele. One and only. Hello, guys. How you doing, Adele? How's your I'm, day going? I'm doing well. Jeremy, I appreciate that. I am, um, you know, just excited to sit here and have some deep conversations. Me too. <laughs> I'm very excited. So we're talking about the future of BC. And uh, we're in the midst of the BC Liberal leadership race. And so we are chatting today with the one and only Stan Sipos. Welcome, Stan. Thanks for yeah. joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, Adele, it's great to be here. And uh, I'm just happy we haven't been washed away by the uh, tsunami that was supposed to hit our shores today. Yes, I got that notification this morning, too. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> So I was looking out uh, before and, 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 you know, as I was driving to the office and there were, it was, it was higher than usual. So, um, but they did say people shouldn't be near, near beaches or, you know, flat areas, but obviously it was so far away. I'm sure it didn't, it wasn't coming in here at full bore. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a tweet storm happening. A lot of people, a lot of messages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw um, that too. Grateful for all the people that watch those things. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're safe and um, you're able to join us today. Yeah. Um, well, we are really excited to kind of hear more about your story and, and learn a little bit more about you. You're, you're, you're newer to politics, and so you're fresh to the game. And I'd love to understand a little bit more of, of what kind of prompted you to, to enter the race. Well, what uh, I'm obviously never been a politician uh, before. Um, People always want me to be the fixer to come in and do something that is difficult to do and they don't want to do. So mm -hmm. um, here I am. I'm, 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 my hope is that I can do some fixing. Um, I came to I came to this country uh, as a young immigrant. Uh, my parents and I escaped from a communist uh, bloc, Yugoslavia. Spent a few years in a refugee camp. Uh, landed in Alberta with uh, when we won the lottery, mm -hmm. right, to get to come to this great country. Um, we moved north for a little bit and ended up in Victoria, and I, I left home at 16 with um, a bit of a mm. tough childhood immigrants, you know, like we just, it was night and day work, and and uh, I don't know, I, I, I wanted more. So I left home at 16, uh, $7.50 in my pocket and a CCM, a red CCM bicycle. I didn't have the bike for long, but I got a job on a construction site and uh, sort of worked in construction for about 10 years. Various things, always like to work. Uh, kind of for myself, you know, if I was working at something, I wanted to be hmm. get paid by my production. What I did is how I got paid. Consequence, right? Right. I, right. Yeah. I wasn't a good by the hour person. I always had dreams of more. And uh, then I uh, then I got into business. Um, very short stint with a with a big company that somehow maybe the universe opened the door for me, and I went into. And um, I was there for about a year and a half too. And then I started my own business and. A, been in business for 40 years, development and, and other things. Wow. Uh, so, you know, we've, you know, I built uh, thousands of homes. Um, we've employed thousands of people. Uh, and what are, and, and probably the greatest thing I enjoy having worked, you know, I, I worked since I was a little guy, probably nine years old, I remember, or maybe eight, we started working night and day. Um, I really enjoy providing opportunity for people I work with. So that if mm. I had any satisfaction, it's not about being financially, um, you know, being somebody important. I don't care about being important. I'm just a regular guy. Um, and uh, but what I really love doing is I love making a difference in a in a community. I love making a difference for people uh, that come and work with us. It's always a team effort. And, 
so it's been a really uh, magical, magical 40 years of business, I guess you could call it. And I have always been interested in, um, in, in sort of civic affairs, politics, international politics. You know, mm. I, it, it's I, I, Jonathan's middle name. Uh, it's my my uh, oldest son. Uh, he's 27. His middle name is Kennedy. So his first name is John Kennedy. I wanted him to uh, have a little heat to see if he could strive for something, um, something more. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. You know, we so <laughs> so you yeah, yeah, I think that's incredible. Yeah. And um, and you mentioned, you know, you, you had this passion with international politics, yeah. national politics. Why why the provincial race? Well, <clears throat> the provincial race actually comes down to I wasn't thinking about this because I'm, you know, if I was if I was at this stage of my life with my experience, um, I would say, you know, uh, would have been great to be 50 and to be able to toil away and plug away, but but I'm not. And and I think my my business experience and all of my life experiences is kind of brought me to the perfect, how do you call it, you know, like the perfect point. All of that experience, all of that knowledge that I have and 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 my internal ambition is I believe I'm at the perfect time in my life with all of my knowledge to actually make a difference. I, I believe we need to serve. Mm to make a difference, to actually go out there. And yeah. it's not about fame. It's not about making money. And it's not about pension. I'm not I'm not interested in any of that. And I think government is broken. Government is now kind of we have too many career politicians, too many people that go in there, they create fiefdoms, they don't serve the people and and the system is at a breaking point. And there's tremendous dissatisfaction out in the general public. You can't believe how many people are disillusioned with politics since we jumped into this thing. And I'm late a couple months ago, right? I think we, mm-hmm. I think we got cleared by the Liberal Party in around the first, at the end of the first week in December. The decision to do this actually boils down to something I was going to do after finishing a large project recently, and I was kind of, and obviously the pandemic is affecting everybody's life, which is a terrible thing, and I don't mm-hmm. know how long it'll be here. And I was thinking about traveling and heading down to, uh, I wanted to go down to Patagonia um, because I've always been intrigued with Patagonia and I, uh, uh, I love wild places. I love sort of that. Hmm. It just to me is sort of the ultimate of kind of beautiful um, when you feel the wind and, and no one around and, and it's just, just nature, nature, you and the environment um, mm-hmm. just always seems to do something for me internally. So, so I'm inspired by um, by uh, Doug Tompkins going down to Patagonia, and he is um, he is his mission was to try to uh, to try to see if he could help in the in restore environmental damage and and uh, just see what he could do down there because he felt he could make a difference. Mm. So sold his company, right. sold his shares for plus a hundred million, um, and he bought this uh, this hundred year old uh, sheep farm for ten million, and it had. It had miles and miles of barbed wire fencing, paddocks, you know, uh, separation. And, and one wouldn't think about that, but the amount of destruction in the biodiversity in terms of the natural, the natural uh, flora and fauna and the animals that can wander around that are disrupted with fencing and all these things is quite remarkable. So, um, and then uh, his, uh, his, uh, new wife uh, who we fell in love with uh, Christina uh, she came down she was the CEO of Patagonia and she left there so she came down to help him long story short they have done this most incredible thing with they've bought 
something like 16 million acres of, of Patagonia wow. in Argentina and Chile. And they started doing this restoration work and, and the change in, in, in what's happening down there it was just incredible. People thought they were a cult until they, and <laughs> Chile started, uh, you know, the mining operations and then they wanted to start damming rivers and, and they basically created this huge resistance uh, and they said, you know, and she was talking about how important it is to be an activist. You know, you've got to be an activist to prevent destruction because companies mm -hmm. and big industry will not stop. So the locals discovered that they actually weren't a cult, but that they were there actually to, to help and protect. Right. So they bought all these things. They bought they, they bought millions of acres on both sides of uh, the border of Chile and Argentina and and started working in restoration. This all, this all happened since 2000. And then they donated it all back as national parks. For not a penny, wow. just wow. unbelievable. So I, I was watching it with my daughter and I said, you know what, Christina, my daughter's name is Christina. I said, you know, we should go down there because you can volunteer. You can go down and be a volunteer for a few weeks and do this stuff. We can go down and do this. and and help out. I, that's, that's something I could get my get involved in because I just love the concept of what they were doing. <clears throat> Doug, Doug Tompkins unfortunately Absolutely. passed away um, in a kayaking accident in 2016, but his wife is carrying on mm -hmm. and all the, the foundation is really carrying on. She does a lot of YouTubes and, and um, TED Talks mm -hmm. and, and they're just, they've just made such a huge impact on nature and protecting nature, right? Mm. So yeah. I keep getting the Globe and Mail and on the Globe and Mail, of course, we're clear cutting. We're clear cutting on Vancouver Island. Right. Uh, we've got all these protesters uh, up there, and I'm listening to some of our uh, some of our um, leadership guys just being involved. You know, listening to that, and I, you know, I hear about you know professional protesters, and I'm thinking, professional protesters. Well, you know, if 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 somebody isn't up there, if an activist, whether it's a Greenpeace trying to save the whales um, from extinction. Um, and if we don't step up and try to do something, you know, no one stops it. There's no stopping it. In the Globe and Mail, you're looking at these beautiful trees and these huge stumps. And, and Horrigan, our current uh, uh, premier, is, you know, they're just, they're just cutting away and, then the, and talking about how they're working on it and they're studying it and, um, and they're, they're negotiating with First Nations. And the, the reality is, I, I thought to myself, well, you know what's going to happen here? Because I've seen this happen over and over again. We're going to keep cutting these forests down as fast as we can because it's just pure money and profit. And then mm. when they're all gone, we're going to say, you know what? It's actually the First Nations problem because they took too long to get back and to agree how we shouldn't cut them. But, you know, so we, we just kept going. We just kept cutting and the trees are gone. And I said, you know, OK, it just really, really ticked me off. I said, OK, if, if this is what we're doing, no one's stopping cutting this thing. Yeah, I could go and be a protester, but I know how to how, who really drive. You know, when you when you drive the car and you're behind the wheel, you're able to drive the car. When you're a passenger, you're just going for the mm -hmm. ride. So you know who makes the decisions? You got to get to the top. The top mm -hmm. guy makes the decisions. Mm -hmm. I said, OK, if if, right. if we're really down at this point and and our planet is in peril, there's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. We're being a, we're being we're being we're being crushed by by natural disasters by yeah by things happening and if we don't you know i mean and i said to myself is it really greta thunberg that should be shaming everyone to do this and 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 let's call it my generation of individuals who are in power and have the capacity are doing not enough and i said yeah. I'm, you know, I, I'm going to step up. I'm, you know, it's late. I'm late into this game, but I listened to the people who were running, and 
I just felt that nothing would change should any one of them uh, win this election or this leadership mm -hmm. race. And I, and I think it needs a bold new vision. And I said to Christina, you know, rather than going down to Patagonia and saving and working and helping save Patagonia, British Columbia, rainforests, our, our old growth forests, I mean, they're in peril. So we need, mm -hmm. this is maybe where my energy should be spent. And I think I have the wherewithal and the belief and the passion that I can actually win this leadership race and make a huge difference in many areas. Uh, because government is broken, not just right. not just old growth forests mm -hmm. and climate change and disaster relief and response. Government has become a what I call. Thousand employees hired at eight billion dollars a year. Yet we have crisis in healthcare. Affordable housing is going down the drain. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they have no people who get into politics. And as I said, I'm not. They do not understand consequence. It's not their money. Mm -hmm. They spend money, and when if something goes wrong, they point their finger and say it's not my fault. I did well, you know. Well, we, you know, we did whatever. It's it, there's a, there's no consequence. I think we need consequence. I think we need term limits. I think we need people serving and leaving and getting a real job. So that, that's what you know. Primarily, believe it or not, what motivated me the most was getting that bloody Globe and Mail and seeing. A one-page ads about all our old growth forests being cut down. I said, "No, nah, that's just enough of that." Like, you know, someone, mm. you know, I'm going to try to stop it, and that. So that's what yeah. made me jump into this. And thank you for sharing that and getting get to have a fuller scope and understanding of, of what what inspired you. Um, you said a lot about how you feel like government is broken. The current government isn't. Um, doing the work that you feel like needs to be done. So, so tell us a little bit about why the BC Liberal Party. What about that party do you feel like will be able to make a significant change? Well, it's, it's, it's broken too. You know, look, it, it, it hasn't won the last couple of elections. Um, you know, politics in general, um, you know, people go in there and they, they, they go by a playbook. They go by this book of how it should be. They all do the same thing. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, I'm not into partisan politics. I, I, you know, I am, I would support anyone that is competent to, to work in government and to be, to serve in government. I call it serve, not work. Yes, we do need people who run departments and who are interested in there, but we sure, sure as heck don't need people who are there without the right skills to deliver the services that they say they will and break their promises. So the Liberal Party, absolutely. Um, you know, the Liberal Party is a coalition, it's a free enterprise party, and they, in my opinion, have lost their way. So even my my message to the members of the Liberal Party, which has been dwindling and, and is is heading towards extinction, unless it changes, in my opinion, needs to uh, needs to change how it how it functions, needs to change how it serves the people. And it's, you know, I walk, I walk both sides of this, of, of what I would, I, I would say I walk in the in in both the working individual and i don't know what that word exactly means but if you know what i'm trying to say is i can be in a boardroom and i can be you know i can be on a job site i can be digging a ditch mm -hmm. cleaning a toilet it doesn't matter to me i i do all of that i'm just a i'm just a guy that understands what i would believe uh, that the average individual on the street thinks and feels like and what's important mm -hmm. you know 
be it housing, be it, be it uh, education, uh, access to education, you know, access to medicine if you need it, you know, what, whatever it is, I can relate to that because, because I've been there. I understand what right. it's like, you know, I, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've so, yeah. Uh, it, well, I'm, I'm curious then, if, if you feel like, you know, the, the Liberal Party is broken, if you feel like part, the, the partisan game is, has all these structural issues, yep. where, how, how do you feel like you'll be able to kind of push the agenda that you, that you need to, especially when it comes to a sustainability? Um, how do you intend on, on working within a system that you do feel is broken? Well, I, I intend to, to change the system and to, to be there to show how it can function by serving a broad base of the population. I don't care if, you're, if your political affiliation is NDP. We've had lots of people who, who call themselves, who have supported the NDP party, who said, man, I really love what you stand for, and I love what you're trying to do, and we, we, all, I would vote for you. I would support you. This, this, I'm tired of the same old. Even the NDP party, which is trying to create this, this uh, and it's not the NDP party. I don't, I don't want to label anyone like that. What I'm saying, what I mean by that is they, the brain trust is militant. There's always hardcore on all sides of the fence. You know, you can have a, a hardcore uh, conservative function fa faction of a party. You could have, you know, the liberals could also be extremely possibly left and, you know, very few right, very few middle, mostly middle, I would suggest. Greens can also have an element of common sense and then there could be like extreme, you know, shut everything down and nothing will work. So, I mean, it, it, that's, just, that's, just a, that's just people, I believe. You can see it in America. America's falling apart at the seams with this tribalism and this extremity that, that exists there. But there's still, hopefully, a lot of normal people. So my intent would be that you need to bring a large percentage of British Columbia to join a vision, a policy that makes sense. People want to change things. People want to belong to something that is more meaningful and listens to their voices and provides them the opportunity to dream and pursue their beliefs that's that's what this is that's what it's about i believe i can change how we function as how government provides the service to the people by demonstrating what is possible so and to bring a broad coalition on board i've spent quite a bit of time talking with sonia fristino uh, green party uh, uh leader for british columbia just a tremendous uh, tremendously competent uh young woman, I call her young, uh, mm -hmm. she is a little bit younger, obviously, than me. Um, she's a, got a really great, um, she's just got a really great philosophy about this. And she's the kind of person you could work with, like 100%, like just work with, mm -hmm. work with her. And why would we isolate someone who theoretically feels they're green? Why would we isolate someone who really has some issues with social services and things like that? And, and vice versa, why would we isolate anyone who's more into free enterprise and business and job creation? Uh, on a on a different path like it, we're all in this together it's like a family right voices mm -hmm. don't have to mean that we tear someone down we just have to bring people together and respect their divergent opinions that's my belief and that is what i'm so that's your to. way of um hmm. so that's your way of changing the system then yeah is um is, is right it's yeah. having dialogue across across partisan lines yeah yeah mm -hmm. i i think that, that yeah that, i think that's um very 
important but um, difficult feat nonetheless when it comes to the game of politics. But um, it is. I, it, yeah. I commend you. Yeah, it, it is. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I've been in the development business for a long time. In my 40 years of doing this, doing this, um, I have dealt with a lot of community associations and a lot of municipal councils. And some community associations, you guys know, can be very, you know, certain neighborhoods can be extremely difficult to deal with, extremely entrenched, not in my backyard kind of thing, you know, with very difficult. Mm. In all my years of business, I have never lost a rezoning, not one, with multiple, mm. multiple projects. And why? Because I understand, I know how to listen, I know how to collaborate, and respect divergent opinions. And, and I've, you know, some have been close one vote in council, one barely through, but mm. I have always managed to collaborate and understand different viewpoints and still get the job done. And that is, I think, the key. You've got to be able to really respect and you're not going to get everyone to see it your way. And you have to understand that will be the case. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to me because um, there's there's so many things that you even mentioned earlier about all, all the things. There's a laundry list, you know, of, of pieces, of things that are need to get done, that haven't been done, that should get done, or, you know, are missing. And so, and, and the priorities for everyone is different. Uh, and so everyone has different things that are, that are top of mind that they really want to see progression on and um, what we did with thread is we you know talked to a bunch of people you know 30 and under and just got a bunch of questions like hey if you could sit down with a possible future premiere of BC yep. what would you say and so the we, we have sort of two main themes we want to dive into and, and the first one's really affordability um, you know a lot of people are you know finishing school early on into their careers and rent is expensive the thought of buying a house is is seems just unattainable at this point. Um, and so, you know, from, from I, I'm really curious of your perspective too, you know, with your background, with all these projects and that you've been developing, what are some of the things that are sort of like impacting this increase in housing, like the, the astronomical inflation rates of house prices? Well, obviously, um, you know, fundamentally, it comes down to, to the very core beginning, which is supply and demand, right? If you want to buy a, um, if you want to buy a Rembrandt or a, or if you want to buy the Mona Lisa, there's only one up. So therefore, you know, the price can be insane. British Columbia, and even I've noticed, uh, lived in Victoria for a long time, you know, the world has noticed us. We, it's a magical kind of place. So what's happening here? Um, people, people are moving here in bigger numbers than we can accommodate in terms of, you know, home homes. We don't have enough homes. Mm -hmm. There's obviously been recently a little bit of, you know, which, which, uh, speculation jumped into that equation as well, uh, with, with mm -hmm. offshore capital, offshore immigration, recognizing, you know, their costs on their side of the fence. Uh, if it was, if we're talking about Asia, you know, cost of, uh, of homes in Hong Kong based on pressure again from a small land mass. The, the price for homes was beyond comprehension and it kind of spilled over mm -hmm. here a little bit. Um, one of the fellows I, I, I know that's actually involved in our campaign, his wife, um, he met his wife, she lives in, in Brandon, Manitoba. She and they got married and she's 
she's moving here uh, shortly. Uh, they've been going back. She's been commuting back and forth. She works for a nonprofit over there, an accounting uh, individual. They have a baby, and she bought her home in Brandon. It's a beautiful home, large acreage, a large piece of property, not acreage, but you know, a big yard, probably about 13,000, mm -hmm. 14,000 feet, $200,000. She bought it four or five years no. ago. She is beautiful. She is trying to. Uh, she thinks that she can maybe get between two forty-five to two sixty. Two forty-five to two sixty for a beautiful home, beautiful yard, etc. Well, good luck trying to find right. it. Wow. Where do we have to go in British Columbia to find that? So it's a supply and demand yeah. issue. We, we are not meeting our mm. supply. There's a, right. there's a few reasons for that. Um, number one is we've 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 sort of compressed our our available land mass for building homes. Our infrastructure is at the breaking point. Our municipalities and cities have become um, what I would call tentacles, just like the provincial government. If you want to do a rezoning and get something going, it takes years to get it done. And I'm talking, you know, two and a half, three. I've heard some as I've heard as much as a seven year process to get something rezoned in the District of Vancouver. They didn't understand mm. density and the pressure of this growth, but that's forecasting and being prepared. It's like being prepared for a storm to mm -hmm. come and not being, you know, not doing anything about it. So the storm is coming and has hit us. Immigration, mm -hmm. profiteering on homes, delays in approving construction, and all of a sudden you get into this catch twenty two. Is like you're we're, we're in a bit of a hurricane and it, you you just can't get out. You, you know, it's mm. you, you just can't get out quickly. You, you know, you, what are we going to build? 50,000? What are we short? Could you build 100,000 homes in a year tomorrow? We can't. We don't have the approvals. Mm. Manpower is short. All these kinds of things. And so you have to start looking at it. You have to start and say, okay, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to start changing how things get approved. And you're going to have to be bold. Right. In terms of, yeah. rent, right. let's talk rental housing for argument's sake, just rents. Which are going, mm -hmm. which are going crazy, and I, I just, yeah, you know, yeah. when I was a young guy. I think I, I had a studio apartment, mattress on the floor when I left, and which I had for a little while. And I think I, I, gosh, if I recall correctly, my rent was like 125 bucks a month, maybe maybe even less than that. Jeez, Probably what? Could have been even less than that because yeah. tank of gas was yeah. seven dollars to fill up a tank of gas, right? So, mm -hmm. so that is not. I'll just give you one example of the first thing we're going to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have, um, if you guys are in university, gone to university, and if you've lived on campus or anything like that. Yep, I have. I have not. Yeah, and so you can, you, <laughs> if you're lucky if you're you're going to get first year accommodation. Really lucky, and they just don't have enough accommodation. We have a 19 year old uh, young guy. Uh, tried to, you know, as he's been unfortunately having to do too much online. So he's in his second year. He couldn't get first year accommodation mm -hmm. uh, anywhere. Uh, it was just taken. And of course, COVID came along, so they shut that down too. Yet UBC, UVic, and some of our major universities have all this land. Why are they not building student housing to accommodate at least four years of student housing? Because land is free. Hmm. Interest rates right. are historically low they could do it so i called up the head of the land guy who i knew who used to work at city victoria here he's um, and and i said mike i said what why are you, what, what's the problem why aren't you building this housing and he says well they wouldn't let us borrow any money to build housing well i said but you but it would cover itself you can borrow the money who, who, interest rates are free uh, the, the the government 
they, they mandated that if it, that the universities needed can't, couldn't borrow money to build housing. They had to raise money or have grants or have donations to build this. They couldn't do it. Now they've changed it a little bit, but still limit them as to how much they're doing. My opinion is mm. the provincial... Is that uh, provincially or...? Provincially, yeah, provincially. And then, and right. then there's other charters. But really, the province can dictate and do a lot of these kinds of things. So my, I said, listen, if we, if we pull this off and I get into government, we're going to start building thousands of student housing units right away. We will work with the federal government to, through CMA, Canada Mortgage and Housing, to borrow that money. If we have mm. to, we'll subsidize it a little bit as well. But the land is free, so the component of of any construction project or housing unit for land is astronomical, right? So it's a down payment right off the bat. Right. They can, they so, will, so they can cover the debt, they can provide the housing, and we will take thousands of people from market housing right away that will be able to move in. By the second year, we'll have right. at least 10,000 units under construction. That's my pledge. That's right. That, you know, that's, that's really interesting because that's one of the biggest challenges you know, in the Okanagan, which is where I live, yep. uh, a lot of places you can only either rent in the summer or, or it's specifically for student housing. So, like, yeah. you rent from September until when does school end? March, April, June? April, uh, June. September. Yeah. I'm going to assume yeah. June. May. Yeah. 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 Clearly didn't May. go to school. It's May. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's May. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's really fascinating because, like, that's a real problem that, like, I've encountered. Totally. Like, housing in the market just doesn't really exist. Yeah. I... And you know what, though, I, I was actually curious to to kind of dwell into the fact that you want to change the rezoning laws. Is there any kind of what are some specific policy changes that you you would want to make to make it things a lot more efficient? So so day one, we're going to we're going to sit down with every municipality with a mandate and with a timeline, like right away and say we want we, we're going to implement timelines for rezoning six months. You're going to have to hand, hand over a building permit. You know, it takes over a year to sometimes up to a year to get a building permit for a garage, for God's sakes, in Vancouver. A garage. Not happening. Ha hmm. And if they don't want to uh, listen to that, the province has the power to implement rezoning and take that power away from the, from the, uh, from the municipalities. In other words, there's official community plans that show where density is, where they want density. Every municipality has it, mm -hmm. you know, an official community plan. They show the borders, they show all of this stuff. They show the density. And that, that OCP basically dictates height, FSR, which is floor space ratio, you know, how big that building mm -hmm. can be on that site. We'll rezone them. We'll just blanket rezone mm -hmm. those OCPs and say, those are zoned. The rest is design. And variances and, you know, neighborhood consultation to make sure that they're happy with design. But six months, you've got six months to do it. After that, if, 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 if you're entrenched and you decide to be difficult, there'll be an arbitrary board that will provide that answer within 10 days, two weeks, all with timelines. Mm -hmm. Consequence, there has to be consequence and we can get going to building. So we need to start building, building, building. Lastly, mm -hmm. if we're running into land issues, in my opinion, many parts of the world we have crown land available in different areas, lots of crown land. If we need to, we'll open it up. We'll zone it and we will start building market and not and, and affordable housing in those areas and provide a government subsidy to first time buyers so that they can get a home, get that, get those, start getting those prices down, make it affordable. Mm -hmm. And what you want, mm -hmm. the only thing, the only caveat to that will be, you'll be able to buy a, an affordable mm -hmm. home but you won't be able to profit on it 
you know, exponentially and, and it isn't going to be a 20% increase in value in year one. It would be maybe the cost of living. You'll be paying for the mortgage. You'll, the government will help with a, with a down payment type idea and, and, and help young families and people get into a home. I mean, in reality, we should be able to build apartments that you can end up owning so that you're not just serving and paying rent for life. Those are just innovative ideas. They do it in other parts of the world. We're just lost in bureaucracy and 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 I, I call it a, like we're in a merry-go-round. It just seems like endless, and no one wants to de no one mm -hmm. wants to make this hardcore decision and say, "Sorry, guys, no more right. talk. This is what we're mm -hmm. doing. Here it is. Here's examples. They do it all over the in Singapore and all these different places. And those units that people buy that are subsidized and affordable, they're there as they have security of tenure. They have security of having a home, but. They don't, they're not able to, to capitalize on, on this crazy inflation. And, and I believe that supply will diminish that inflation. It'll start bringing it down mm. because we just don't have enough of it. We need to build it, right? We need more. We need to build until we overbuild and then prices stabilize. Otherwise, they won't if there's too much demand. Mm. My, my only... Uh, my, I I, I love the idea of that being able to just build, build, mm -hmm. build, and, and see if yeah. that stabilizes. But my, I think my only concern would be, um, how do we really control external forces that are going to come in and monopolize and just kind of buy everything out? So I think that's going to happen. Concern. I don't know. So that's another thing. We're not, we're not going to just. They won't be allowed to. They they can't. They're they're not going to uh, be able to uh, buy affordable housing units because you'll have to have a caveat. And I think the other thing that we're running into, which is a real, which we, which we haven't quite realized the impact of, okay, is huge corporations, life companies. There's so much money flowing in the world, right? That money is is like, like a tsunami out there. Massive amounts of money. People talk billions mm -hmm. of dollars today, like we're going to uh, the 7-Eleven and buying a slushie, for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can hear that. Yes, yeah. you, you can, know, internationally, you hear we've gone from. You know, billions to hundreds of billions now. Yeah. You hear these, these words just being thrown yeah. around. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless. So what's happening? These huge investment. So business is. I'm a business guy and don't get me wrong. I'm not a I'm not a you know, like I am a hundred percent business guy. And I believe we need we need less bureaucracy, less red tape. And we need to do everything mm -hmm. we can to encourage small and medium sized businesses and innovation to provide jobs and to, to stimulate our economy. But what I'm not into is these massive blocks of capital flowing around, buying up all the rental housing possible. Why? Because they understand that there's a shortage of rental housing and it's a real stable source of yield. So they come in, they buy everything. They have no interest in your neighborhood. They have no interest in the residents who live there. All they are interested in is answering to their shareholders and, um, and, and generating profit. Many times older when it was done before, there was a lot of families that built housing and they had an interest in it. They were part of the community from, but when you take away community and you just take away and it just becomes, uh, you know, like those, one of those science fiction movies, you know, the huge Goliath and they buy everything. You can't get to anybody. You don't know who's in charge. Mm. And we're going to run mm. into a problem where, where rents and you're seeing it, renovations, you know, massive renovations just, it's just driven by greed and yield and not to the benefit of the community. So we need to we need to have a very close look at that and, and, and put the brakes on that and say, wait a minute, you know, we're not we're not you know, we're not 
you just can't come and buy up all you can't buy up everyone's homes and then um, you know it's it's a goliath that is your landlord and they don't have any interest in our community or what we're doing government used to have programs where they funded the construction of rental housing with some kind of subsidized something and it had to provide mm -hmm. rent at a, at, a, at a discount over a 20-year period based on the yield of the mortgage 30 years and those programs were very effective and a lot of homes were built like that could you do do us a favor and, and um, define what what that means yielding um, yield yeah your yield your your coupon that you're collecting on your money spent so if you you know if you put a thousand dollars in the bank and you're getting four percent a year you're going to earn uh, four hundred dollars right so what they're they're just they've got billions of dollars they're buying up uh, all this rental property they're going out and financing the rental property so so let's say I buy a building for a million dollars, right? And it, and it says, mm -hmm. right. and I, they say you're getting a yield on there of 4%, which would be $40,000. $40, so, mm -hmm. but, but, I, but I'm, so, so I go to the markets. So I buy a building based on a return to me of net $40,000 a year for a million dollars. I go out mm -hmm. and I can get a mortgage today at 1.5%, right? Uh, for a for a ten year CMHC insured mortgage, one point five, one and three quarters. Mm -hmm. I only have to put down probably. I, I have to figure out. Okay, I've got forty thousand. I've got my my revenue generated covers how much mortgage. So that my revenue will cover comfortably um, if I buy it at a four percent cap, and I only have to pay a one and one and three quarters. I've got a two and a two and a quarter surplus, plus my plus plus the 4% I bought it at, all of a sudden, my return on my money is like 7%. And that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're coming in, they're buying these things at a 4% yield, they're financing it at, a, at, at one and three quarters through CMHC, and all of a sudden they're earning 7% of their money. So if you wanted to deposit a savings account, I don't know what it is today, but it's probably virtually zero. Like, I mean, you're lucky to get 1%, right? So. Yeah, you think it's like 0.75 or 0.5. So, yeah. so Canada Pension, uh, the, the, the Canada Pension Fund, the Ontario Teachers Pension, the Quebec, the Quebec uh, mm -hmm. Pension Fund, the huge, these huge funds and uh, BlackRock and all these guys that are just into trillions of dollars, they are out investing their money into stable investments because homes and rental homes in the best areas like Vancouver, we're seeing it in Victoria, uh, Toronto and those places, even Montreal now, um, in all these big cities, mm -hmm. they're irreplaceable right. and, and they're stable, right? The most stable right. real estate asset for the longest time has been rental apartments. People, you know, right. vacancy, it's a vacancy rate based where I think Victoria is like 1%. So 99% mm -hmm. full all the time. The next best thing yeah. at the moment now that's happening is warehouses because of everyone is shipping things so you know the the warehouses become incredibly valuable and stable lately right you know offices right. not so much right retail stores are suffering you see vacancies mm -hmm. so the yield yeah the yield is poor so what what are they after mm. they're after yield right. right right got it fascinating yeah fascinating yeah so um interesting yeah so opening up the the rental market um by enabling students to move out of the quote unquote open market and into student housing on on campus sort of helps impact that. That's one aspect. That's um, one little that's a small right. piece of the pie, right? But but it's right. thousands of units that could be made available within three to four years. 
Right, right. Uh, you know, one thing that I'm I'm curious of uh, while I'm listening to you, um, these are all very, they, they feel very common sense. These ideas, like exactly. why hasn't this done? Why hasn't the, why hasn't this been done before? Mm. Which I guess comes up as my question of like, if this is so obvious, why hasn't it been done? And and not in a sense of like they're doing everything wrong, but like are there other forces at play? Yeah, what are those obstacles that? Yeah, because are- it's it's I feel like it's you know listening to you i'm i'm sold like this sounds great let's get more but like is there other factors that we're not like aware of because it feels so obvious no it's 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 inexperienced they're not experienced too many we have too many inexperienced people in government that have never run a business never had to be on the line of a business so understand one thing in my in my life every decision i make is a consequence if i screw up i don't make the right decision you know, I'm in trouble. If I sign a mortgage right. for 50 million bucks on a project and I sell it to a lender and I don't deliver, I'm, I'm out of there, right? I, I, I mean, how much can you sustain? I mean, I can't go to, you know, I can't just go to the bank and dip in and say, I'll take some more. So it, it's, it's, it takes bold action to do bold things, but, mm. but, it, but government is a business. It's the biggest business mm-hmm. in the province. When Jim Patterson ran Expo, was it 86, something like that? I mean, I think that's what mm-hmm. kind of started. I think it was 86. I could be wrong on the year. When Jim Patterson ran it, they said, my God, it came in on budget on time um, and, and it was done so well. They said, why don't you run for government? He said, are you kidding? Uh, can you imagine who would want to put up with the BS with uh, all this stuff? But, <laughs> you know, you've got to have a, I believe, having a business background with, with living in a world of consequence all the time, mm. you know, um, it's necessary and and um, and that's why i i sort of say common sense because i'm a common sense guy i've i've had to do things look it's just like you're you're running your house you run a bank account if you overspend and if you rack up your credit card and you know you're not making enough money you're going to go broke the government never worries about mm-hmm. that they just keep going right they just pass the buck to the next guy and i think what's happened <clears throat> over time is it's almost like it's imprinted you know this is how you do it you know you, you got, mm, you've got a deputy minister and you've got staff and everybody gets more staff and then they've got this little fiefdom and they run those little fiefdoms like i don't know like it's just there you know they put the fences up and this is how they do it have you ever you know i mean you know you could get in trouble for it yeah but have you ever seen oftentimes you walk along and you see city workers who are union who have a particular kind of mandate and you'll see seven it's a, it's a it's a joke all the time right but you'll see seven eight people standing around a manhole one guy is digging five are watching and no one's doing anything and you know what and i uh, this is the truth I've, I've heard people say if anyone's trying to work too hard you're going to get in trouble because they get a they get a time they get a okay this job's going to take us three days and this is what we're going to do so no one's moving too fast. Sometimes you, in, when in the emergency and you get a private contractor in there who is profit and has to get the job done, they do the same job in like half a day. I mean, that's not a job. Mm. They just mm. go in there and do it. So it's, it's, it sounds like you're saying just a broken incentives and just no consequences generally. Generally speaking, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When this, this problem, mm. look, they knew that the infrastructure was broken and needed repair in the Abbotsford Valley. There's reports mm-hmm. sitting on the table. They knew all about that. 
No one, not the previous government, not this government who had the report on their desks, did a bloody thing about it. And then the consequence happens. That's the problem, right? Mm. I mean, where's the incentive? Well, Stan, I'm, I'm wondering, um, is, you know, you, you say, you know, government can, can be run quite similarly to a business. And I'm, I'm wondering once, let's, you know, if, if you were to be elected, mm. can you imagine that there might be some components um, that a business wouldn't that a business wouldn't have to deal with in government um, that that might cause more more like can you empathize I guess with um, some of the challenges that your 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 um, future colleagues your future colleagues yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, might have so so you know there there are there are certain differences in, in government and and um, I'm wondering if, if you can spell some of those out well well let's be clear about this it's not about being insensitive it's not about understanding being uh, caring. It's not about throwing people out in the wastebasket or doing those kinds of things. It is about it is about trying to provide a service to the people who you are supposed to serve, which is the people of British Columbia. Improving your services. Do everything possible to unblock the traffic jams and to serve. Bottom line, serve. You know what? We all go to a restaurant, right? You can go to a restaurant sometimes and you sit there and, you know, the service is really poor for some reason or another, usually because management doesn't pay enough attention to it or something like that. And then sometimes you go to a place and, and you sit there and you say to yourself, wow, it's unbelievable. Like it's just everyone is just like they're, they're, they just do it so well and they're, they, they have a smile on their face and they're happy and the environment is really good. It's the same thing just on a larger scale. Everything is like that. You know, it's it's about mm. efficiency. It's about being looking at it and saying, how do we do this better? And empowering people, empowering people to actually not be bored out of their minds because they don't do anything. I mean, I've heard, and we know through our through my uh, through my children, uh, some of their friends who have been hired by government uh, in the last little while. Some of them have not been to an office in two years. Some of them report once a week on Zoom and. No one pays any attention. Like, how do you get motivated and where's your passion to, to do a good? So it's it's about empowering the people around you and leading them, whether it's a sports team, whether it's people, um, you know, it's the ability to empower, to, 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 to get people excited and motivated to do it the right way. Get them engaged. Get them right. engaged, engage them. Don't, it's not about being mm -hmm. like being a dictator or being a, you know, someone that doesn't care and doesn't have empathy. That's that's not our my opinion government just needs to serve with a smile and how can we help you hmm. you know cut the red tape streamline the process get the traffic moving i mean the bureaucracy and the, the levels of things you have to do these days to fill out forms and 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 you know when you tax forms and all this stuff it's it's, it's exponential you can't you just can't get through it hmm. the healthcare system i mean Look, the healthcare system has ballooned, which which we're all being affected by, and it is one of the biggest expenditures in our province. Fifty some percent is administration now, forty some percent is actually healthcare workers. Well, what the heck is that all about? My wife is my 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 new my wife is a doctor. Um, she she doesn't practice in in the same way in the hospital, but just until recently, and it is it's it's broken. The people are run off their feet. My daughter just graduated from nursing school. Her experience was, she said, it's terrible. It's just the stress, the, the mm. but administration, just 
going crazy. 50-some percent administration, it used to be the other way around. It used to be, say, three people to 12 people in healthcare working. Now you've got uh, 14 people uh, in administration to 12 healthcare workers. So there, there's an example. Think about it. Right. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier even about some of the infrastructure in the Lower Mainland and in, in Abbotsford and the Fraser Valley. Uh, and I want to chat a little bit about sustainability. It's been a wild 2021. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it just tragic events uh, from, you know, forest fires to atmospheric rivers and floods. Yeah. I, there's probably more that I just can't even remember. Um, Agree with you. And, uh, you know, in tsunamis yeah, yeah tsunami warnings <laughs> yeah um it, it's left a lot of emotions in a lot of people a lot of fear a lot of feeling drained feeling drained i mean there's a lot of things have contributed to that too yeah. but I, I also think it's left this on a few parts right you know living in the interior when uh the floods came through and the transportation the highways highway five highway three everything was closed um <clears throat> It was it was terrifying how fragile I, it was to be in even in the interior where we had all these other roads but all the stores were empty yeah like there's all these different things that i never knew and i listened to all these you know press conversations they were talking about even how they manage milk supplies i was really fascinated to like there was some planning in place that not everything comes from one region but yeah. it left in a lot of people a, a sense of um vulnerability uh on, on a few ends um specifically around infrastructure and supply chains. Um, so what, what are some things we can do to like ensure resiliency and sort of restore confidence in our ability to travel and get food into, you know, our, our grocery stores that we can get it also onto our tables? Yeah. But I mean, and also is, is, is this just a reality that we have to face? And is there a way that we can better prepare our mm -hmm. people to ensure that they, as as little people don't you know aren't going hungry well you know it's it's the it's the i guess it's the result of modern day um it's a modern day reality of supply on demand right hmm. technology just like we just experienced earlier you know can break down so technology is now incredible at algorithms and and you know knowing exactly what kind of peanut butter you're going to buy and how often that peanut butter goes off the shelf. So why would I pay for it when uh, ahead of time, when we know that you're gonna, you know, peanut butter three, five, six is gonna be off the shelf Wednesday at nine o'clock. So let's get it there by eight o'clock. And, and that's how we'll right. it. Food, food dependency, energy dependency. We ran into that problem here in Victoria and we saw that, yeah. well, you saw the pipeline kind of went and all of a sudden we're down to 30 liters, no one can travel. We had a washout on the Malahat and there was no mm -hmm. fuel in 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 the never mind the 30 liters. They the gas stations were running out of fuel. They just ran out. People went yeah. over and, and boom, we're gone instantly gone because we lost that yeah. transportation route. So, so I believe we have to be have a resilient understanding that we need to be, we need to mandate that our grocery stores and our big companies have the ability to withstand a disruption for a reasonable period of time, like it used to be in the old days. They would have, you know, they had warehouses and food was available and they probably last a week. Rather than flying mm -hmm. in all our food from all over the place, we need to empower made in British Columbia solutions because we have tremendous farms and greenhouses and all these kinds of things. And we need to, 
we need to come up with ways to incentivize food production farms and 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 the food production industry to actually provide more made in BC solutions uh, and, right. and for the stores and you know I've been thinking about how do you provide you know straight from the farm so that the at least the guys who make the food and grow the food uh, are able to generate a better profit versus the middleman to three you know like I mean I don't know what a head of lettuce starts off from the farmer goes to the middleman goes to right. the next guy when I was a little guy we we when we first came to this country we ended up being up north we had a mink ranch and we were kind of like sharecroppers the first year or so right <laughs> so the the guys from Winnipeg would provide us money for the food etc to grow the mink we worked all year long and then at the end of that period we ended up you know you 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 kill off the mink and you skin the furs and you ship it off and you're at the mercy of the one buyer and typically no money is made because you're a sharecropper uh, mm. you know like they mm. dictate it's always mm -hmm. like that and the same happens with food production we need to we, you know we need to ensure that people that grow the food provide the food have an ability to make better money and so we should encourage everything we can to go almost at what i call direct because you know the big grocery chains mm. um you know the workers aren't getting paid anymore but the profits have been record have they given back the answer is no are they better right. prepared for tomorrow? The answer is no. So I think that's the role of government to mandate preparedness in case of emergencies. Infrastructure, mm. obviously. Infrastructure, mm -hmm. they have reports, they know what's happening. We are going to be faced with more floods. We're going to be f faced with more fires, all these kinds of things. The Pemberton Road, that Highway 90 or 99 that goes down past Pemberton mm -hmm. out to the other side there, you know those big washouts they all happen primarily because of clear cuts in behind these huge slopes and the highway down mm -hmm. below the rain hit of course eventually it just broke that loose and it's running through there so so we got to be prepared i'm not sure exactly what happened with Coquihalla and why that was devastated like it was but again it's slopes and it's it's things and and more will come so mm -hmm. we have to be prepared i think we have to have an emergency disaster force available on demand and that is they don't have to mm. be, it's not like having a police force sitting around or a, a fire department, mm. but having people who understand what to do so that they are ready to be deployed within hours of a disaster hitting that they, the coordinators, so they can get on the ground and start immediately coordinating mm -hmm. and bringing, bringing relief to, uh, it's like firefighters. Look, a fire starts burning, you push the button, you know, you got the fire department coming. Lytton, Lytton is a prime example. Another thing that really mm -hmm. ticked me off. Lytton goes on fire, the whole thing burns down. We've got the prime minister and the premier show up for a photo op and they talk about, listen, we're not gonna leave you behind. Everything is gonna be okay. Six months later, just before Christmas, the first money arrived and it was a million dollars for the municipal, to pay the municipal employees, but not a piece of debris was moved. Nothing was done and it was six and some months later. I mean, that to my opinion wow. is negligence on government's part. So we need to be prepared to Again, that's service. The thing I talk about service, be prepared. Mm. Deal be prepared with what you can deal with. And, you know, mm. right. yeah. And I, I, that's, I think that's, um, that's something really, really important because ultimately these preventative measures are, are necessary considering yeah. where um, the world is going in terms of- Inevitability now. Yeah, it's, ine it's yeah. inevitable, exactly. Um, but, I, and, and, and so I'm wondering, are, are you are we are we hoping to have these emergency teams kind of set up to ensure that there is as little damage as possible to 
the the lands that we have so you're really protecting the the farmlands that does exist so we're able to utilize um the foods that's available to us here in bc is is that is that the aspiration yes it is i, I think you you know you <clears throat> i don't believe, Just to clarify, I, I don't yeah. believe that you're going to have to come up with a with a volunteer almost like a you know like we like a search and rescue like like yeah. search and rescue right we have these volunteers on search and rescue and when they're called upon they mm -hmm. jump in and everyone is there but you need a team you can't have a volunteer volunteer kind of uh, disaster uh, group that basically understands what to do in a disaster those have to be on 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 uh, on staff mm -hmm. i think they're i think we're doing it currently with the tanker traffic going through the thing there's all these boats and tugs and everything available for tankers to move so that they're there and they will even escort vessels so that shows you an example mm -hmm. of how they're prepared for a potential disaster god forbid we get such a disaster but I think you need to, mm -hmm. to be ready and we need to do everything we can not to have an emergency. In other words, do all we can to ensure that the infrastructure right. holds up, that things are that yeah. we've evaluated it and, and we haven't procrastinated repairing it as needed, period. Hmm. Hmm. I, well, yeah. I, I was going to say that um, to ensure that we don't have another emergency, that really is tackling a bigger problem. Um, and and so I, I'm I'm wondering with do we have it? What are what are some of your plans in terms of transitioning the world to be to or transitioning BC specifically? Actually, um, the whole world, yeah, all the of whole it. world. I take mean, it on <laughs> <laughs> um, to more sustainable energy sources because um, th these are some of. I mean, yeah, these are these are rapidly increasing events. Right. I remember, you know, I first moved to. Um, BC, to Canada when I was five. We moved to the Okanagan in October 2002. My first summer in the Okanagan was 2003 when the entire valley was on fire and we huh. left and like all, I, I mean, I was young, so like it's, it was a lot more dramatic, yeah. I feel like, because I feel like every road was closed, but it might have been. I mean, you're it was it was there was ash falling from fire. the sky. Yeah. It was very it was very traumatic, actually. And so, you know, it used to be a once in a decade sort of thing it felt like every you know in the Okanagan there's always a fire like mm -hmm. every summer and you actually see the community come together and but then you you it feels like just since 2020 it might be everything happening in the world too but it, like these events seem like they're accelerating and rapidly increasing in pace and so like I, I guess you know the question like what is the path to shifting to sustainability um as far as things like um, you know, sustainable and renewable energy sources. So, so look, I, I, I said earlier, I jumped into this because I was so upset with the cutting down of old growth forests, right? So mm -hmm. obviously environment to me and, and the threat to our environment is paramount. Yeah. Gordon Campbell, um, BC liberal leader, premier for two terms. I think he was in office for three terms, probably, if I'm not wrong about that. Mm -hmm. um, former mayor of Vancouver. He was the first guy in the world, probably, I think, that started this whole carbon sink or carbon capture kind of idea and, and promoted it that many people adopted. British Columbia is a, is a very progressive population. Uh, and, and I think that we need to so if you if you looked at my site and you understood what my policies on green, we should become the green, ener green energy, green solution leader in the world and invest in our universities mm. and do everything we can to come up with, with studying various ways to mitigate both pollution 
and to come up with green energy solutions so that we that doesn't mean we compromise our you know we're not changing petroleum or uh, resource extraction which contributes immensely to the to the to the well-being of our province in a in a mm -hmm. heartbeat but over time hopefully we can we can transition from that catalytic converters were introduced in the late 70s in california um, and you know, just to clean because California was experiencing tremendous smog, so they introduced catalytic converters. There's so many things we can do. You know, right. when's the last time this premier called up Bill Gates, got him over here because you know he's a he's a philanthropist. He's he's a multi-trillionaire, and he invests in so many positive things. They're doing. He invested in a carbon capture thing up in Squamish, I believe. So so you got to bring the best and the brightest here and say we are interested in becoming world leaders in green solutions both in extraction, mm. in cleaning, in everything. And we'd like to export it and we'll mm. export it to the world. So what do you think? How can you help? We will contribute to our mm. universities, to our education systems, to, to we'll bring people in who are really keen on this and do everything we can. So I believe that we need to do, it's the same old story, it's this disaster relief. We're, you're not gonna do it mm. once things are too late and you're exactly right, things are getting faster and faster and calamity is occurring at an unprecedented rate. We lost hundreds of people's lives mm -hmm. when that heat dome was here. I mean, what was that? Right. Yeah. It was insane. So it's coming, it's yeah. not it's gonna awesome. stop. So again, it's my same old solution. We talk, we study, we shelve. My solution well, is no more talk, action. Action, right. action, and action. And I think that's really what young people are are really asking for is action. Um, and you say, you know, kind of let's put more investment into the research. And I, I, I do think there are a lot of really brilliant uh, minds in the in the um, in the environmental sphere here in British Columbia. And yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the things that we're hearing is that they're not feeling heard. They, they're not feeling like the actions that they're recommending mm -hmm. are are really able to be implemented. Yeah. And um, so how, how, how would you kind of go about ex accelerating the action that is needed on on climate change? Because the reality is, is it's 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 um, going to be harming younger generations in a, in detrimental ways. And, and there could be a moment where when we when younger people are in power, they there it's it's not going to be um it's not going to be as easy to be able to reverse some of the things that are happening right yeah. now so well our, our this planet is fragile i mean i know it looks huge and you go out and you look at the ocean you think oh my god not you know what are they talking about this will never it, it's endless like you know it'll just it'll it'll be okay it'll look after itself um i think the way you do it is you have to you have to mandate and have consequences on timelines so look mm -hmm. if you can if we can afford eight billion dollars a year for hiring a hundred and some thousand extra provincial workers. You, we've got to invest in these solutions to the university. Right. We need to, it's not just the mines in British Columbia. I believe that we have the ability because it's such a beautiful place and it's sort of, it's sort of, we stand for something. You know, we have old growth forests, we have wildness, we have ocean, we have mountains, mm -hmm. we have water. And so we need to attract people from all around the world that would want to come here just like people are moving here because of, you know, tech is exploding. They're moving here for lifestyle mm -hmm. and the quality of life. We can attract the brightest and the best people in the world to come because right. we will act on doing everything we can and we will invest in research. We will encourage, find private industry to participate with government in that research and um, and just do it. Just, just do it. Like, I mean, what's right. the magic? Just 
we'll, yeah. we'll consequence and not talk about it. We need to start investing and say, okay, where are we doing this? How are we doing it? Let's go. Right. Right. Stan, uh, thank you so much for your time today yeah. uh, and for your patience with all our Bearing with technical us, adventures. <laughs> Um, what's, uh, what's one thing you want, uh, the people viewing this to take away from this conversation? I'm, I'm not, if you could sum it up, I'm not here. I'm not here to, to get to, for a salary. Um, I'm not here because I need a pension. I'm here to make a difference. And I feel that we need, that I can bring common sense government and common sense solutions to everybody, every person's daily life and make a difference. And I'm there for a short period of time and to demonstrate what's possible and how we could change things and do things and pass the baton on to someone else. Because once you once you forge a path and show what's possible, you know, you can capture people's imagination. And, and believe me, the younger generations that you're talking about, they have they 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 will pick up the mantle and they will take this and go way beyond where I'm where I'm talking about. And I think that's the possible. Nothing is impossible. If you believe you can achieve, you know, mm -hmm. you know your your dreams, and uh, and that's I, I I I think I think we could change the world. If I win this election, I honestly believe that through throwing that pebble into that pool, the ripples can be felt around the world. And I think there is a possibility with the right vision, the boldness, and the the honesty of intent to actually change the world. And that is what I hope people can see. I'm passionate about it. And I'm, and I'm you know, I've done it my whole life. Uh, no one gave me anything. I, I've worked hard and I've lived this incredible life. And I think, I think we could change the world if I can pull this off. Okay, well. Amazing. I mean, that's incredible. Thank you, Stan. Thank you so much, Stan. Yeah.